Collector's Wall Podcast, Coppola Cast Edition. I'm your, one of your co-hosts, AJ Gonzalez. And I'm Brian Connolly. All right. We're back. We're back. It's been a while. Thanks it's, for yeah. waiting. I'm sure you've all just been like been staring the, at your computers. On waiting, the edge of your seats. Waiting for an update. Yes. When, we last, when you last left us, World War II had just ended. <laughs> So a lot of time has passed since and now, then. And now we're in the swinging 60s. Yeah. So this week we're doing You're a Big Boy Now, uh, a movie that I had never seen. And I was very excited to have finally watched it. I've always wondered. I've always wondered. I didn't know about this movie before we started this podcast. And I actually looked at Coppola's filmography. And you're like, what the heck is what You're the a Big is Boy this? Now? <laughs> You know, everyone's got to have their beginnings. Uh, but first, before we go into this, let's talk about every episode of this podcast. We do a different Coppola wine until we forget one that we've done already and repeat it. Hasn't happened yet. But uh, this time we are doing, this is a fancy label, the Director's Coppola, Sonoma, Sonoma County, 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon. And there's a lot. There's a picture of a like a devil-looking guy balance with a pitchfork balancing, on like a bouncy ball, which is interesting. And if you turn it fast, it kind of moves, like you know, one of them old film, you know, like a like a zoetrope, like a zoetrope. This label is a replica of 19th century art used in a zoetrope. Producing the illusion of a moving picture, this unique Sonoma wine honors the uncompromising standards necessary to make great films and wine. All right. Who could he be referring to? <laughs> Coppola. I'll choose to that. Great film, great wine. Good job. Um, and uh, unlike the other ones that we've had before, there's no description of what you're supposed to taste. That's a shame because I think this red wine is okay. Um, but I don't know enough wine to talk about it in detail, so I taste, and this red wine is not distinct enough on its own for me to give any kind of distinction at all. I, I it, apologize for not having rewatched Sideways. <laughs> I think this is a pretty solid uh, red wine. It, We've had a few cabs on this podcast, it's team, I think because mm-hmm. it's California and they do it well. We're, I think we're just going to drink a lot it's of a, It's not a very bold red, and I, I mean that in a good way. Sometimes you have a red wine, and it just really hits you, you know, and it's like rich, and that flavor stays in your mouth. And it's like, I'm still drinking wine, even though I'm not <laughs> drinking wine anymore. This would be a good meal wine to have with food. I think so, yeah. I think it would complement... Uh, a steak or something not take away from the flavor of the meal to add to it this and a bowl of Chef Boyardee you know that would be a solid dinner yeah <laughs> alright so you're a big boy now 1966 when we last uh, saw you audience we were kind of in the Coppola as hired Hollywood screenwriter uh, and now we're back to him as up-and-coming hotshot filmmaker. So before this, we had movies he kind of was re-editing and kind of sort of directing. Uh, Then we had Dementia 13, which is full-blown. Him as a director, low-budget Corman thing. 
And now we like we've we've got another step up. Like I feel we're seeing definitely a filmmaker growing and getting better yeah, as this, a filmmaker. This is Coppola with a real studio behind him. Uh, Seven Arts, which had him under contract as a writer for hire, and he wrote uh, the last two ones we did. This property is condemned, and is Paris burning? While he was writing his Paris burning, he was working on an original screenplay about his youth based on his own experiences, but his contract with Seven Arts was so that anything he wrote belonged to them, and he thought he found a way around it by buying the rights to this novel called You're a Big Boy Now, which is about a young guy uh, set in London. And then adapting his screenplay into that novel. Interesting. Or like right, like taking the characters from that novel and just kind of working it to fit his original screenplay. And he bought the rights to that book himself with the money he earned from writing Patton, a job he got because of the one scene he wrote with Patton in Is Paris Burning? The best scene in that movie. Yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> The, yeah, Kirk Douglas plays a good Patton. And then Seven Arts was like, no, no, you, anything you write belongs to us. And he's like, okay, but I want to direct it. I own the screen rights to this movie. They said, fine, we don't want to make it. And then nothing happened for a while until one of the Seven Arts, like, business managers, not a producer, decided he wanted to become a producer and liked Coppola and said, hey, like make, go ahead and make that movie. I'll be the producer. I'll keep an eye on him, make sure it doesn't go crazy. And the project got greenlit. So he was off making his first real movie with a small budget. I think it was like $800,000. At the time, that's, At the time, that's pretty good. Yeah. But definitely smaller um, than the movies he's been writing for. But a yeah, it's uh, Seven Arts was about to merge with like Warner Brothers, I think. So we had a big studio behind him, and there's like big stars in this movie, like uh, or people that were up and coming, and that would go on to become bigger stars. People like Rip Torn and Geraldine Page and Karen Black, to name a few. <laughs> Actually, I think that's about it. <laughs> None of the other names are very familiar to me. Um, whose turn is it to describe the plot? I think it's your oh, turn. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. I'm going to murder this. All right. Plot. And so this movie is kind of done in a that kind of loose structure that movies are starting to do in the late 60s where there's sort of a plot, but there's lots of tangents and there's lots of absurd moments. Very much like, in a way, it sort of feels sort of like a not as extreme version of like a Terry Southern movie or like a George Axelrod sort of thing, like a Lord Love a Duck, or even like a Richard Lester movie, like at the time, that kind of like third version of like a French New Wave thing where it's like, look, it's like jump cuts and it's like kind of absurd and crazy and no rules and handheld, but it's still America, so we're still going to kind of have it feel sort of like we're still following some of the rules. Yeah, this is, def <laughs> this is definitely <laughs> one of the notes I wrote was like American French New Wave film. So it's like it's not as crazy as a Godard movie, but, you know, it's still breaking some of the rules that you, you wouldn't see in a normal studio film. 
Anyways, plot. Okay, there's a man, a young man named Bernard, works at the New York Public Library, which you might know as the library from Ghostbusters. Uh, not actually filmed in that library in Ghostbusters. They filmed it on a, in L.A., but hey, we can pretend. But he works there, and in this, in this version of the New York Public Library, everybody's on roller skates, like shelving books, and Bernard uh, is ready to grow up and ready to move out, and his dad, played by Rip Torn, and his mom, played by Jared Lee Page, real married couple in real life, which is fun. Uh, they were like, you can get, the dad is like, you can go out on your own, like, get your own apartment, pay for your own way, and the mom, of course, is like, no, no, he's just a baby, he's just a little boy, but he's excited to go on his own, you know, you're a big boy now, and so he moves <laughs> in an apartment, uh, in the apartment, there's a weird landlady played by Julie, Julie Harris, Harris, from The Haunting, oh, that's right, and there's a rooster that run a chicken that's running around, a weird cop who lives in the building, a lot of crazy, kooky characters. He gets his own little apartment. Uh, at the same time, he's got this pal at at the library who's just sort of like his like horn dog guy friend who's like takes him, you know, as guys do, takes him to go fly a kite in Central Park. <laughs> and there's a great sequence of kite flying. There's a point of view from the kite. Which reminded me of um, the shot shots from Andrei Rublev, the Tarkovsky movie, where there's like a floating in the air, like camera from above. I don't remember which one was first. I think they're around the same time, if not just by a few a year or two difference. Um, and then he uh, there's Karen Black works at the library or hangs at the library, and she sort of has a crush on Bernard. But there's something maybe going on between her and Rip Torn as well that the mom is not too happy with. And so she goes on a date with Bernard, or kind of he, he on his own, he decides, as any guy would do on his own, first first night, just go visit all the pornography in Times Square. In time, it was so in Times Square in those days, and like there were peep shows, like everywhere. Point slot peep shows. And there's a theater showing My Brother's Wife and the very cleverly titled Naked Female. <laughs> <laughs> and so he ends up in some like peep show place and actually this part's pretty good where he watches this feels very like Coppola of this time where he's watching a peep show and it cuts to the peep show clearly filmed for this movie with a lady undressing and giving like come thither uh, you know looks and then the film starts breaking at like the good part and then he's trying to like fix the film but then his tie gets stuck in it uh, and it just becomes and so for no reason at all um, the uh, Karen Black uh, just is there and just like cuts his tie and saves saves him, and they go they kind of go on sort of a date, but then he's distracted by this lady he keeps seeing named Barbara, who's like this go-go dancer, like lady about to, like cool looking, like much cooler of the time lady more so than Karen Black though. What crazy person would pick a lady over Karen Black? She's amazing. But he does. He's obsessed with her. There's a part where they're at a club, and Karen Black really wants to like dance with him and talk to him. But he's like fixated on Barbara dancing like high up in the rafters, like in a little dancing booth. Yeah, go go dancing in a cage. Yeah, and uh, there, there's, uh, and so he's just locked in on her. And then his parents take him to see like a modern sort of play with a little person in it and some weird, just some weird abstract sort of play. And Barbara's in the play. And so he writes her a letter and leaves it with her, just being like, I love you, you're so amazing, you're great. 
And she writes a letter back being like, yeah, sure, come by my dressing room. Maybe I'll be dressed, maybe not. And then the movie does a weird shift where all of a sudden then you're with Barbara. And the first half of the movie, she's sort of this mysterious, like, beautiful lady. And then you hang out with her for a second and you realize she's this insane person. <laughs> she's this crazy, tough lady that's not at all just sort of, like, going to be this innocent, you know, beautiful woman. This guy's going to, like, be able to sweep up. Uh, you know, like, it's just like she is, like, a tough lady on her own. And you kind of realize, like, oh, this is not the story that I think it is. Which was at a very, it, I thought, a very interesting shift in the movie. I did not expect that. I thought the movie was going to really just be, like, this guy in New York, and he has a crush on his lady, and it's weird, and like, like he's going to chase her. But then you do this, this very drastic, like, no, now we're the lady, and we're going to learn about her story. And she's not what you think she is. Like, she, she's a weird lady with a weird background. Um doesn't you can tell that she doesn't really want to be with this Bernard guy, but she's just gonna fuck with him and she's gonna invite him over to his to her house. And so he comes over, they kind of have a very awkward sort of half not quite date thing, really. Um he like meets her at the work, there's a party going on, and they end up at her, her apartment, and then she just is like, Okay, I'm going to bed, like you can sleep on the couch, like I'll see you in the morning. And he's like, oh, man. And that's kind of like the relationships like that for the movie where it's just sort of like her being like, yeah, move in with me. And he shows up and she's like, well, what are you doing here? I get, no, you can't move in with me. And and so the movie sort of him figuring out that like maybe it's not going to work out with her <laughs> and then realizes he should actually be with Karen Black, which is the correct answer. And then the movie ends and it's you know a nice little ending and you get to see pretzels get made by a pretzel robot. Um... That's that's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, but it's not really about the plot. It's about all these weird characters and these weird moments. And it, the movie's very stylish and very of its time. Uh, it was shot by a- Andrew Laszlo, who wait, later went on to do The Warriors and Streets of Fire. So, like, a very good cinematographer. And, like, the shots in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Shots in this movie where you, like, he loves wet pavement Wet with with uh, neon lights reflecting off no, the wet pavement. No, I thought pavement. this movie um, uh, captured <laughs> captured New York very well, like the real New York. <laughs> Not what I mean by that is it's you know it's it's, it's a pretentious thing for me to say. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but it captures this New York that you really like that's lived in, and it's the streets are wet. And there's litter everywhere, and there's always people just walking around in the background, and there's always noise, and it's kind of dirty, but there's also something very charming about it. And either way, that's not important. What's important is you and what you've got going on. And like the city really is just a background. It's not a character. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like a very like <clears throat> lived-in... Uh, hefty background. And what's great is you can tell it's New York City, but there's no shots of like the Empire State Building or Statue of Liberty. You don't even see like a big skyline shot. No, I was waiting you know? in Central Park. There's all every time a movie is shot in Central Park, I was thinking the place they're flying to Kaim's like, oh, is this Sheep's Meadow? But it's not Sheep's Meadow. Sheep's Meadow is the one grassy flat area in Central Park that's basically where people just sunbathe and hang out. But it's in every movie, it, most notably in uh, uh, with 
Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. Fisher King. The Fisher King, where they are talk together at night. That's in uh, Sheep's Meadow. But one of the great things about Sheep's Meadow is it's at the southern end of the park along uh, 57th Street. No, no. 60th Street? Around there. But you look up, and there's the Midtown skyline. And it's all there, and there's trees and nature, and then you look up, and then bam, there's the city and the Essex House, which isn't the Essex House anymore. But it's this great city, and I was just waiting for that shot because no camera can resist panning up to that skyline. <laughs> but they... Not Coppola! <laughs> yeah, yeah, they resist that, and there's other shots where, okay, I know exactly where they are in Central Park, and the buildings that are behind it, but they don't pan up. They're just kind of there. And I like that. To me, that makes it feel more personal. It makes it feel like, oh, this is a movie made by people who live here. They don't care about these yeah, touristy things. They don't care about these. They've seen they don't these. Care. Even they if it, see these views all the time. It's normal to them. They're not even going to think about it. Even if it looks good <laughs> on film, when you're there, when you're living in New York City, you don't care about this stuff. But it's there and it's cool. But it's totally in the background to the point where like you don't care. Um, I went to college in New York, and that's how I felt. And so when I see a movie that shoots New York like that, pays attention to it, but not a lot of attention to it, it's, uh, it feels very true to me. Very, it's very good. Um, the movie starts with a swinging soundtrack by The Love and Spoonful. I really liked that song. <laughs> with, with the questionable line, Can I look at your insides? <laughs> I'm assuming they mean feelings, but I don't know. It's Eleven Spoonful. It could be uh, dirtier yeah. than you know what this what this studio. Did yeah, the know. movie starts uh, in a reading room of the New York Public Library, and then the doors, bam, swinging swing open. Elizabeth Hartman, Barbara Darling, walks in, and she's in an orange dress, and it's the only color in the shot, and the Eleven Spoonful song kicks in. And it's just like, bam, the 60s. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and also, speaking of going back to Dementia 13, there's a scene where he go, where they end up at a club. And because it was the 60s, you know, psychedelic clubs love to show movies on the walls. They did that in the Warhol factory and all that. And the movie they're showing is public domain film. Dementia 13. <laughs> so maybe this might be the only Coppola movie with a Coppola movie within a Coppola movie. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe in Jack they watch, you know, like One from the Heart or something. I don't know. But uh, so far, this is what we have. And I thought that was pretty good. And it actually worked, like showing that kind of weird, stark, black and white, like weird, violent imagery while people are go-go dancing. It was, it was very effective. So so the, ca- the cast is crazy because it is all people like before they really got very big. And this movie has like six or seven people who later went on to win or were nominated for Oscars. Like a crazy amount. Like for someone, for a young guy like Coppola to make a movie with that amount of talent in it is pretty amazing. It just shows that he definitely had a good instinct as a filmmaker to hire the right actors. Um, like Karen Black, Karen Black in a strangely not strange role, because usually she plays such a weirdo, and young Karen Black is just more, just an odd-looking normal lady in this movie. She's not really playing it big like she would do later, or you know. She's, yeah, she's like, playing she's the fairly, like, like the, the she's the good girl, the normal girl. Yeah, the the Marianne, this. the uh, demure girl next door, just with crazy eyes. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the Bernard Paul Caster, 
also had kind of crazy eyes. Yeah. So they were meant to be. Yeah. So t- t- two of them together could see fine, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rip Torn is in old face in this. He's 34 years old in this movie. He was 34? Yeah. But they made him... I didn't even recognize him at first because I was like, well, that can't be Rip Torn because he's like a young man He looks here. like Vincent Price but he's, in this movie. But he's playing an old man because he's playing the dad. And then Geraldine Page, who's his wife, actually does look older, but that's because she was older. Like She was f- a ripe old age of 41 in this movie. <laughs> uh, Geraldine Page, Oscar nominated for this film, which, you know, she's great, but she's in the movie for like five minutes and it wasn't the type yeah. of role that I would say... Gosh, she should be nominated her for char- an Oscar. Her character is yeah. memorable because she's so over the top and funny. But I uh... sixty six a slim year for a supporting actress. Who? So out of all, who won in nineteen sixty six? If this is like, because I'm assuming they still did five people. Yeah, and you have a role that's very small and passable and fine and totally good. Is it just because? She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress before, like many times before this. I think so. And they were just like, ah, give it to her. But like in this year, like what was, what were the other nominees and who won? So uh, the 1966 Oscars, which are given out in 1967, so it's a bit confusing. But for this movie year, the winner was Sandy Dennis from Who's Afraid of Virginia Very good. Other nominees were Wendy Hiller from A Man for All Seasons. Jocelyn Lagarde from Hawaii. Never heard of these people. Oh, that must be an adaptation of that James Michener thing. Um, Vivian Merchant from Alfie. I don't remember her. I'm surprised it's not Shelley Winters. Anyway, and then Geraldine Page from Your Big Boy Now. Interesting. Um, Okay. It's an all right lineup. Uh, not, um, not a lot of. Uh, it's just it's just interesting that she was nominated for such so a short. So here is role. Ger- Well, I think the Academy just liked Geraldine Page, and maybe like wanted it to happen for her. It eventually did. Eventually <laughs> did. So here's her Oscar history. Uh, nominated for best actress for best supporting actress for Hondo in '54. But that's the John Wayne. Western? Yeah. That movie was 3D. 3D Western. Whoa. I had no idea. I remember they showed it uh, when I was a kid on TV in 3D and you can watch it. It huh. didn't really work. But She was nominated in 1962 for lead actress for a movie called Summer and Smoke. Nominated for lead actress in 1963 for Sweet Bird of Youth. Then nominated again 67 for You're a Big Boy Now. Then nominated for supporting actress in '73 for Pete and Tilly, then nominated for lead actress for Interiors in 1979, then nominated for supporting actress for The Pope of Greenwich Village in 1984, then <laughs> won, finally won Best Actress, Lead Actress for the trip to Bountiful. That's cra- That's a lot of nominations. Like, that's a lot crazy. of nominations. To I think to... about like it's just like they wanted her to win, and they kept trying. But like, eventually, the voters would give it to her. We love her so much. And then, like until she was an old, old lady. Yeah. Like a f- just a few years before and then, death. Yeah, she died <laughs> the next year. Won. It's like I got it. I can let go. Now. Yeah, she died in 1987. <laughs> so two years later. But yeah, I feel like yeah, she got a nomination in 54, 62, 63. And then this year, 67, uh, 66, it's, uh, 
it's gotta be like just the Academy really liked her and what she was in the movie this year. Okay, nominated. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that doesn't happen so much anymore. Not you don't really. see like 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 other than the obvious Meryl Streep all the time, but like you don't see like. Every year we're gonna keep trying to give it to you know, and it's like it doesn't happen. But that's a lot of nominations for Jillian Page. Like that's crazy. That's that's a lot. She was like the Susan Lucci of uh, Oscars. That's a lot of nominations, and then finally winning as an old lady. Yeah. So the so you're a big boy now, an Oscar-nominated film. Also a big deal for Coppola to make a weird small movie that nobody remembers to right now, but at the time. Had enough of uh, impact that it was it got nominated for an Oscar. That's pretty yeah. impressive for a young guy. It's pretty movie. crazy, and the Oscar nomination doesn't seem to make sense until you look at Geraldine Page's personal history <laughs> with the Oscars, and you're like, oh, of course, like yeah, she made a movie, so they nominated her. Uh, but yeah, Coppola, this movie was like, uh, well, some sources say I read a book that said it was. Uh, like an okay, it did okay at the box office. Another uh, online sort, like Wikipedia says that it lost money and never made it back. But um, in general, reviews were kind of mixed. The reviews were largely like, this movie's okay, the style is good, like where I'm excited by this new young director Coppola, but the story is kind of you know been there, done that already. In the movie, it's like it's interesting because it kind of fits into those movies in the sixties. They've been make they they were they they're they're gonna keep making like The Graduate, uh, like where it's just like young guy going out in the world and learning what the world is like. Uh, a lot of Coppola's peers making a similar sort of movie in a different way. Like you have Brian De Palma doing Greetings. Which is a bunch of like Robert De Niro and young guys in in New York City, uh, also kind of very fake new wavy like this movie. And then you have uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door, the Scorsese's first movie, where the young Harvey Keitel is in New York, learning to be like growing up from boy to man. So it was definitely a thing of just like we're gonna have these like young guys in New York uh, learning how to be a grown up, learning the harsh harsh reality, you know, and uh, but stylish and these all these young. Like the first wave of film school uh, graduates, uh, like and being very inspired by the French New Wave and then John Cassavetes and doing like their story and their own thing. And this movie actually, Coppola was able to use it as his thesis uh, film, even though he left college years before. He went back and said, "Look, I made a real movie," and was able to get his degree. Yeah, <laughs> with this uh, movie, most most pretty thesis funny. films uh, are student films of about like 24 25 minutes uh they're not usually feature length movies eight hundred thousand dollar movies made by a real studio yeah Yeah. so but somehow they let it pass and go oh sure yeah here's your degree i guess you can make a movie (laughs) you know some people takes a few years to do their thesis sometimes they just kind of drag their feet i would agree with critics that this movie the style of the movie is exciting and i think the first 30 minutes has like great energy and it's, it's wonderful but then once whenever they end up in Barbara's apartment it kind of slows down oh man it really just, does and it's like oh what happened to like the fun energy of the movie now I just feel like I'm kind of watching a TV show or play or something where the camera just kind of stops and you're just kind of watching these people in this like cluttered apartment and you're kind of like hmm 
Yeah, I the wrote, energy has died. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that the uh, the movie really drags when Bernard and Barbara are together. <laughs> Which I would feel it shouldn't be, or maybe that's the point. Maybe that's Coppola being like, see, they're not supposed to be together. That fun, that energy, yeah. it dies it's once not they're there. together. It's, it's everywhere else in the movie. The movie, it, it's really... Uh, fun and lively and it's got a good pace and then when bernard and barbara are together it just kind of drags and it's quiet it feels really quiet yeah but yeah because the movie starts out uh with bernard and you see on the screen says bernard and about 30 40 minutes go by it's just him being uh you know a awkward young man this nerdy kid living in an eccentric world and then when um he sends the invitation or he sends that letter to barbara then we see on the screen barbara and we get like her backstory which isn't very long it was like maybe 10 minutes yeah and then we get on the screen bernard and barbara and that's when it starts to drag and not be as fun. Though, eventually, uh, the scenes of them together stop. And then you get a scene of uh, Julie Harris as his eccentric landlady and the like tough cop that lives in the building together. And that's fun yeah. when they're together. The best scene in the movie, and I'm sure you agree with me, is when the landlady is locked in Rip Torn's art porn vault at the library. <laughs> yes. Where he has like just this vault in the library where it's all the old books and art that have like naked women. Yeah, like medieval. <laughs> medieval art with naked, with, with bare bodies. Yeah. And the lady's trying to get out and it's got, it's got a timer where they're locked in and Rip Torn is just like, well, we're stuck in here with all this, you know, these pictures. And she's just freaking out, and everywhere she turns, she sees sees nudity, and that part is great. That's like the and you have like a wide, a wild eyed, uh, rip torn, just like, you know, chasing after her. This <laughs> vault, uh, um, and that part was great. And that part reminded me of the scene in Tonight for Sure when the guy's in the apartment, and everywhere he opens a drawer and a window, there's like pornography, and he can't escape it. So yeah. clearly. Um, there's there's now a, a through line of uh, Francis Ford Coppola in pornography. We'll see if that keeps going. See if that's Infinian's rainbow. We'll see. Coppola did not direct a lot of comedy, so it is interesting to see him do kind of a more lighter, fair, comedic movie because we're not going to get a lot from him. No. At all. Like there's there's Jack, which is sort of a comedy <laughs> dramedy. And, you know, is that kind of it? Like, there's not really like much... Peggy Sue Got Married? I guess Peggy Sue, like, another one where it's like, it's comedy, drama comedy. But this movie's definitely got, like, silly... Like, there's, like, jokes in it. There's slapstick there's jokes, in it. There's silly music um, in it to make sure you know that the scene is funny. Yeah, so it's definitely, like, the, the, I would classify this movie as a comedy. If, like, if there wasn't a Francis Ford Coppola section on the director's wall at Vulcan Video, where we work here in Austin, Texas, please visit. Uh, this would be in the comedy section. Yeah, did would you say that you enjoyed this movie? Overall? I did. I did enjoy this movie, but I do agree with you and with the critics at the time that like the style of the movie is fun and exciting, but the story is uh, feels old hat. Yeah. And like 
Like, oh, the nerdy guy is in love with the eccentric girl. Okay. <laughs> and it's definitely Coppola like leaning into the movies of its time. And so it'll be interesting once he crosses over into true New Hollywood and is like a front runner leader of making a new type of movie that other people will emulate. That like like and the Godfather's only six years away from this, which is crazy to think that this movie six years later, Godfather. Because that's not a lot of time. But I mean the world is also gonna change drastically from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy two. I wonder so, what could happen. Um, but but uh, you know it's like it'll it's it's very exciting. It's it's gonna be very exciting to see him eventually kind of work out of this sort of like studio stuff and go into his new like the, his thing and yeah. uh, we're gonna get there next next episode we're doing Finian's Rainbow which I think is gonna be still wallowing in studio because it's a Fred Astaire musical made in the late 60s Ooh, have you ever seen Finian's Rainbow no I've not I have <laughs> so I'm just uh, I'm excited Ooh. I'm excited to see what that's all about because um, it seems like an odd choice for a nice Italian man to make a Irish musical, you know, but to each their own. But, yeah. but well, I, like, I feel like once we, like, it'll be interesting once we know we're like, okay, we're in the, we're in the flow of him doing new Hollywood, new Hollywood, like this kind of new, this, the true new cinema. Like we're getting little pieces of it. We'll be like, oh, you're hanging out with Jack Nicholson. Oh, you're hanging out with Karen Black, but we're still not there yet. We're still like in this other place. It had, like this movie definitely is the got the cracks in it. This movie's got yeah, it's like got the like, style. It's got the uh, style, the the energy, the like use of like hard edits, uh, like jump cuts and okay. inserts of like whatever the character is thinking of. We'll get an insert to like some stock footage of a war or an explosion or something. Yeah. Um. But the music, like Love and Spoonful, that's like new music and I feel like so it is I definitely feel like this is an American French New Wave film <laughs> but it's you know filtered through the studio system for the young kids like this is what the kids are into we don't get it but we're gonna make this just for them this is not for the mass consumption of like the general public this mm -hmm. is just for a specific niche Mm -hmm. audience mm -hmm. um yeah I, yeah there are things i like about the movie things i don't like about this movie i'm yeah i'm mixed on it but me, it's it's an too. interesting watch uh, it's interesting i'm glad i watched it and that first half hour is very very good it was very exciting yeah it's I was very it's got, it was into that it's got a great start with yeah um elizabeth hartman walking down the a quiet library and she requests a book and then that gets like written down and put into one of those pneumatic tubes and then we follow the tube and then we see the library workers on roller skates skating through the racks so someone can grab the book and then put it in the elevator and send the card back through the tube it's a really jumpy uh it's a really lively catchy opening i really i really dug that um there's one random sequence in this movie, which I think you'll agree definitely would not be included if it were made today, which is when um, Bernard is first on his own, 
and he sees some graffiti that says... Uh, it has the N-word in the graffiti. Yeah, N-word, go home. And then he thinks to himself, like, N-word, go home. Like, where's home? Home is where the heart is. Where's my heart? My heart is in the highlands. And then he has a daydream fantasy. <laughs> a black guy playing bagpipes. Yeah, playing bagpipes, <laughs> like leading a bunch of uh, black children through highlands. Yeah. End of sequence continues on with the rest of the plot. Like, why, I was hope- like, why I was is ho- that there? I was hoping the movie was going to have more of that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be like those early De Palmas. This is going to be like the monkey's head, or it's going to be like edgy. But then, kind of breezy at the same time, like this interesting mix. That was not the case. That was really the only part of like, oh, oh my, and then it <laughs> kind of more continued on this romantic plot. But you know, it, it had a pause for a moment to uh, to make a little bit of a message, just like that one little shot of like the war thing. You know, it's like okay, but it's not. It, this is not that type of '60s movie. Any further thoughts? I think that's kind of it. It's yeah. sort of like a nice, fun little movie. But I, I feel like there's definitely better, better movies to come. <laughs> yeah, um, you get that when you're watching this movie. Like it's like it's stylistic enough that you're interested in what the filmmaker is gonna gonna do next. It's like when I first watched Saving Silverman. I'm like Dennis Dugan, you're talented, but I know there's a grown ups <laughs> too in you. We just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then what he does next, well, we'll get into that. Finian's Rainbow. I'm it, excited. It, it, I think I know what we're going to get into. Let me, let's see if I'm right. Okay, this is my prediction. This is, I've always wondered about this movie, and we'll know, and like, you can just listen to the episode right after this. But like, in my mind, it's going to be the stale, like this, the death rattle of Hollywood. Just like, you're just going to be like, my God, who is this movie for? What? It's going to be this awful terrible out of touch musical with an old Fred Astaire at a time when nobody wanted this movie at all. Is that am I right? In no. That, am I correct? No, like, no. It's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be the big money making hit that gives Francis Ford Coppola so much money that he can just let all of his friends make whatever auteur new wavy movie they want through American Zoetrope and he'll be like Truffaut just like here's you here's your movie and your movie and your movie I don't think that's what it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a oh wait that didn't happen <laughs> I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be his last uh, I think it's gonna force him to make more interesting things we'll, we'll see yeah that's my prediction I can't wait all right well thanks for tuning in Thanks for downloading. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell your friends. Um, tell yes. Francis Coppola so we can get some free wine. Yeah, this is good. We've, cool. we've really been enjoying these wines. They're I mean, really good. Yeah, like You always see these wines in the store, and you're like, I know who Coppola is, but, you know, what's his wine like? It's good. Yeah. It is. A, like So far, there's not been a bad one. There hasn't been one where I was like, mm-hmm, I wouldn't drink that again. So uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, rate and review us. You can tweet at us at Director's Wall on Twitter. And if you are in Austin, please do come stop by Vulcan Video where you can rent. You're a big boy now. And thousands. Yeah, grown ups too. Thousands and thousands of other movies. It's Christmas time right now. 
So by the time you hear this, it won't be Christmas time. <laughs> so write your favorite Valentine's Day movie. Yeah, we'll uh, have all whatever holiday it is. We have <laughs> movies for it. it. We have all the Christmas movies that aren't on streaming, and all the Valentine's Day movies that aren't on streaming. True story. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank, thanks for listening. All right. Uh, well, we'll see you then somewhere over Finian's Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs>